Welcome to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Hello once again and welcome to yet another edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z, September 22nd in the year 2022. I'm reading a Newsweek article written by Sue Kim. It says, Outrage, as Human Resources warns staff about being one minute late. It counts as a full day absent. Let me tell you, my friends, if I punched in one minute late and I knew I was not going to be paid, I was counted as absent for the day, I'd turn my happy ass around and go back to the house one minute late. Let me ask you this. How many people go to lunch one minute late? stay and work because they're on the phone for three minutes, four minutes, and then go to lunch and still are expected to be back at that one o'clock time, for example. How many times have you stayed a minute over in the afternoon to finish typing up that last email or closing out a spreadsheet or saving work documents or boxing things up? Did the company pay you a full day's wage for being a minute over time? Did you even bother to charge for that one, three, five minutes of overtime. Of course you did not. Whatever company did this deserves to have their entire staff walk out and go to work for the competition. This article says, an image of a notice from an employer stating workers are subject to attendance discipline if they're late to work by a minute has gone viral and has received over 10,000 upvotes on Reddit at the time the article was written. The image was shared by a Reddit user in a post entitled, Being even a minute late counts as a full day missed. The image showed a notice from Human Resources which began, Please be aware, when you swipe in late or swipe out early, there is no grace period, and you are subject to attendance discipline, as this will count as a full earned leave, the equivalent of annual leave day, an EL day. Documentation will need to be provided to avoid discipline. You're expected to be at your workstation, ready to work at the start of your shift and to remain there, except for breaks or the end of your shift, the notice concluded. Well, if you're a minute late coming in and you stay five minutes working over for lunch, do you think they should pay you? I do. What's fair is fair. Yes, I understand. You've got to be to work early. I'm at work early every day. I leave extra early so that I can be in the parking lot sometimes 20-25 minutes early so that I don't have to be late because of traffic. On average, 6% of American hourly workers arrive late to work based upon a 12-month analysis of 1.2 million global work shifts in a study by a workforce management software platform called Deputy. In a March 2018 survey of more than a thousand hiring and human resource managers in the U.S. conducted by CareerBuilder, the employment website, one in four workers admitted that they are late to work at least once a month. Now that's a drop. It used to be 29% back in 2017. Over one in 10 people say they are late to work once a week. The Office of Human Resources Management at the U.S. Department of Commerce states, quote, If you are late reporting to work and it is not excused, then there are different options that may apply to account for tardiness, unquote. 
The options outlined in the department's website say, with supervisor approval, you may be able to make up the time by working later on the same day as long as the extension does not result in an entitlement to premium pay. Or, at your request and with supervisor approval, your absence can be charged against accrued compensatory or comp time, accrued credit hours, accrued annual leave, or leave without pay. You could be placed on absent without official leave AWOL status as well. The office explains if you are charged with leave or placed in a non-pay status for an unauthorized absence or tardiness, your supervisor may not require or allow you to perform work while you are being charged with leave or are in a non-pay status. Later comments on Reddit, the original poster said, quote, We're a 24-hour plant. I do believe if an operation runs 24 hours a day, then any relevant department should also be staffed 24 hours a day. So should HR, human resources, B, and maintenance, and vehicle repair techs, etc., etc.? That's not your call. You agreed to go to work. You agreed to be there for specific hours, number of hours per day, with a specific start time, a specific break time, a specific lunch time, a specific end time. Here's the bottom line. Don't be late. But if a company tells you if you're a minute late, you're not getting paid for that day, I sure the hell wouldn't stay there to work. Not that day. And I think I'd try and find somewhere to work without such a strict discipline policy. Ask whether employees are there for 24 hours straight, the original poster said. Absolutely yes. If you count robots or automated systems that have replaced humans as employees, that is. There are humans that are there all the time, but only about 3,000, where there was once 15,000. Several other posters could relate to the frustration, with some sharing their own stories. Here it is. I said it before. I'll say it again. Do your job. And if you can't get to work on time, leave the house earlier. One commenter wrote, This is how I approach even a minute late is tardy approach. Then if one minute counts as tardy, Five hours counts as just as tardy. The problem in America is people don't respect the work, but they expect the work to respect them. This entitlement society of, well, I was only a minute late, does kind of suck. Personal responsibility, people. But if you're going to be a minute late and they're going to charge you for the day, take the day off. You won't get paid either way, so you might as well enjoy that time at the house. I know, sounds like old Steve Z is talking out of both sides, but I see both points. And that's why this program is called The Truth Hurts. The Biden administration would have you believe that he has lowered gasoline and diesel prices at the pump. And that's why you should give the Democratic Party and Mr. Biden another six years in office. Four more years for Biden starting in 24, and at least two more years plus four more years for the Democratic Party in the House and the Senate. Just when Americans were finally starting to feel a smidgen of relief at the pump, it all will go away based on the latest news from AAA. Gas prices rose again yesterday and today and will likely go higher as a hurricane is a brewing headed for the Gulf of Mexico. Yes, my friends, Joe Biden and the Democrats refused to take responsibility for causing record high gasoline and diesel prices at the pumps. 
when they peaked in June at the highest price in the history of our nation. They refused to accept the blame or take responsibility for that. And yet now, they claim that they are doing things to help lower the price of gasoline and diesel? Let's see. Did he open up drilling on federal lands and waters? No. Did they finally finish the Keystone Energy XL pipeline? No. Did they reduce the number of illegal, criminal, trespassing, law-breaking immigrants in the United States of America who also require fuel and heating oil? and other energy sources? No. Did they reduce the crime in the United States, which causes more and more prisons to be filled with prisoners that require air conditioning? Uh, no. The Biden administration has done absolutely nothing, my friends, to lower the price of fuel. They did cause the prices to go up when they declared war on fossil fuels at the beginning of the Biden administration when he said we are going to end fossil fuel, when he stopped issuing drilling permits, when they started putting massive amounts of regulations on oil and gas producers, when they emptied the nation's strategic petroleum reserve. They, the Biden administration, have caused the price of fuel to be at their highest levels in four decades. Now they want to lie to you and say they're doing something to lower the prices. But the truth is coming out. Two days in a row now, the price has inched higher. Just like I told you it would. Biden has caused the prices to go up. I anticipated the prices would go down slightly leading up to the midterms so that Biden and the Democrats could claim that they are helping to reduce prices but I also predicted, and it looks like it will be an accurate prediction, that the prices will go back up extremely high after the midterm elections. They're already headed in that direction. My friends, when will you, the American people, figure it out? This president and this Democratic Party has declared war on oil and natural gas, and they're doing everything they can to make you feel ashamed for driving a gasoline or diesel-powered car. They're trying to ram inefficient, very expensive, unreliable electric vehicles down your throats with no infrastructure in place or any real plans to put infrastructure in place to charge those vehicles. Just look at the state of California, where Democratic loser Governor Gavin Newsom a man who barely survived a recall attempt because of his mismanagement of that state has told the people, y'all need to not charge your electric cars in the afternoons and evenings. We don't have enough electricity in this here state of California to charge your cars, much less run your washers, your dryers, your dishwashers. Please turn your thermostats up to 78 degrees and sweat your asses off. We don't have the electricity. We don't have enough windmills and solar panels to produce enough electricity without using coal, oil, natural gas, or nuclear. Doesn't matter. The media will keep lying over and over and over and over again because if you hear the lie enough, you might be stupid enough to believe it. A question for my friends in Pennsylvania. Why are the Pennsylvania Democratic candidates so scared to debate their Republican candidate counterparts? Democrats have repeatedly touted the theme of our country's democracy in the recent years, 
In fact, it seems whenever they want to criticize something they disagree with, instead of explaining why they disagree with it, they simply demonize it, vilify it, and castigate it, claiming it is somehow a threat to our democracy. Then they show a picture of the Liberty Bell in the background, and that makes the stupid sheeple think the Democrats are right. With the midterms now 46 days away, one might think the Democrats should start listening to their own words. Christopher Tremogli in the Washington Examiner says this isn't the case. Two Pennsylvania Democrats are reluctant, scared to death, in fact, to debate their opponents. Now, you know, and I know, and any sane, common-sense, educated-thinking American knows that each voter has a right to make an informed decision for each election. Democrats sought to deprive Pennsylvania voters of that right simply by refusing to debate. By refusing to debate and put forth their thoughts, Democrats are manipulating democracy instead of protecting it. Only recently has Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman, the hoodie-wearing thug who's never had a job in his entire life that didn't depend on a government paycheck, sound familiar like Joe Biden maybe? Only has he agreed to debate Republican Senate candidate Dr. Mehmet Oz. The campaigns have tentatively agreed to an October 25th date. But let's face it, my friends, with hundreds of thousands of mail-in votes already cast, and early voting will have long been in effect by the time October 25th rolls around, that is only 10 days from Election Day. The details of the scheduled proposed debate are still being worked out. Hoodie-wearing, goatee-clad thug Fetterman only agreed to go on the debate after intense scrutiny and pressure. He tried to blame his health problems as the reason why he couldn't debate, because he is recovering from a massive stroke. But yet, his health was perfectly fine when it came to recent public appearances throughout the state, in which he was surrounded by a few people who support him. He's too unhealthy to debate? Perhaps he's too unhealthy to be a senator. Meanwhile, the Democratic candidate in Pennsylvania's governor's race, Josh Shapiro, has ducked out on Republican nominee Doug Mastriano's request for debate for multiple weeks now. Mastriano's campaign sent a request to Shapiro for a debate to be held October 22nd with Mercedes Schapp as the moderator. Not sure who Mercedes Schapp is, maybe some local newscaster. But Shapiro rejected the proposal and called it an unserious stunt. Shapiro's campaign said, Mastriano has spent his entire campaign refusing to answer questions, and this unserious stunt is another attempt to avoid answering for his extreme agenda. This is a gutless response coming from Shapiro. Extreme is a buzzword the left-wing politicians use as a dog whistle to fearmonger when they cannot provide legitimate reasons. It shows a total lack of integrity, a lack of character, and it exposes the scaredness of the Shapiro campaign. He's not worried about Mastriano being an extremist. He's worried about being embarrassed in a public forum, in a debate, and it negatively affects the current lead he has in some polls. You see, my friends, politicians who refuse to debate during an election do their constituents a great disservice. Actions such as these show such people care more about obtaining power than engaging in the hallmarks of democracy. Voters should be able to see how candidates perform against one another in the debates. Shapiro's refusal 
and Fetterman's reluctance should be taken seriously. These are the actual unserious stunts of two people afraid to simply stand up and answer questions about the very important jobs they hope to hold. It raises a question of why Pennsylvania Democrats are so very afraid to debate Republicans. It's a question all Pennsylvania voters should be asking. This is the Truth Hurts program. Dr. Anthony Fufufufucci is in the news again. He says that 400 United States deaths a day is, quote, not an acceptable number, unquote, despite President Biden declaring the pandemic is over. With a number like 400 per day supposedly dying of COVID, that works out to just about 146,000 COVID deaths under Joe Biden's watch per year. Per year. Remember, it was Joe Biden who told the American people Donald Trump should have stepped down while he was the president because he presided over 220,000 deaths. Right now, the United States under Joe Biden has seen over 1 million COVID deaths. Days after President gropey, mopey, dopey Joe Biden said the pandemic is over twice in one sentence on 60 Minutes, Dr. Fauci told The Atlantic that 400 deaths per day is not an acceptable number. He said now is not time to call the game and go get a hot dog. President Biden declared the pandemic is over twice on Sunday night television. And that pissed off a lot of people and made some pretty dubious headlines. But everybody disagrees with Joe Biden, even though he's supposedly the leader of the free world. His top medical advisor, Dr. Fufufucci, wants you to know that little seven-second soundbite doesn't really mean there's no more work to be done fighting COVID. He said, 400 deaths per day is not an acceptable number as far as I'm concerned. we got to get down much, much lower what he called the question du jour about whether the pandemic is really over or not, Fauci explained how, if you look at his entire quote, it's not incompatible with what I just said. In other words, they're walking it back, they're pushing it here, they're sweeping it under the rug. Fauci came under fire for saying something similar back in the spring. He said, quote, it really becomes semantics and about how you want to spin it. The next sentence he went on and said that we still have a lot of work to do because we're really not over with COVID. Declaring the pandemic is over is now a double-edged sword, Fauci said. It's not wrong to admit that things are better overall than they were six months ago. Remember, Biden was the president six months ago. Or a year ago. Remember, Biden was the president a year ago. But life isn't what it once was, and there's too much avoidable suffering going on due to the virus. Fauci said, On the one hand, you do want to have the public to have a sense so that they continue their energy of what the end game is and what the finish line is. On the other hand, he says, it's not time to call the game, go get a hot dog, assuming we'll never encounter another out-of-left-field variant. He said, We want to see the finish line. At the same time, we're going to push as hard as we can to get people vaccinated and boosted. We still should have the hope that we're going in the right direction. 146,000 deaths currently based on your 400 death per day figure, Mr. Fauci? And we're going into the fall and winter season where COVID is lurking in the shadows? I'm sure that number will far exceed 220,000 by the end of the calendar year.
and no president, in Biden's own words, should remain in power if he presides over 220,000 deaths in a year. This is the Truth Hurts program. Uh, by the way, a federal judge has struck down a federal school masking and vaccine mandate for the Head Start program. I'm reading the article. It says a federal judge in Louisiana on Wednesday struck down a school mask and mandate from the feds. District Court Judge Terry Doughty, U.S. District Court Judge in Lafayette, Louisiana, ruled that the federal government cannot push a COVID-19 vaccine or mask mandate for Head Start program teachers, staff, volunteers, or all students and adults. The judge said, quote, the public has a liberty interest in not being required to take a vaccine or be fired from their jobs. The public interest must be taken into account before allowing agency defendants to mandate vaccines, unquote. On December of 2021, Sandy Brick was a teacher who filed a lawsuit in federal court to stop the vaccine and mask mandates. She was represented by the Liberty Justice Center and the Louisiana-based Pelican Institute for Public Policy. Ms. Brick's lawsuit was prompted by the Office of Head Start under the Department of Health and Human Service publishing an interim final rule on November 30th of 2021. That final rule, interim final rule, that's funny. If it's interim, how could it be final? Think about that, sorry. The interim final rule required teachers, staff, and volunteers in the Head Start programs to be fully vaccinated by January 31st of this year or face termination from their jobs. They also placed a universal mask mandate on all children and adults over the age of two. And shouldn't that read children over the age of two and all adults? Oh, well, I didn't write the article. Gropey Joe Biden, on September 9th of last year, a little bit over a year ago, issued that Head Start mandate as part of a package of COVID-related mandates, which would have affected more than 80 million privately employed Americans. But because the U.S. Supreme Court is wise and they uphold the constitution of our democracy, the Supreme Court blocked the government's vaccine mandate for private businesses. That was a six to three decision. With the Head Start ruling struck down, it is up to federal government now to decide whether to appeal this federal judge's ruling to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which happens to be in New Orleans. It's a monumental win for individual liberty. Constitutional rights were brushed aside over the past two years by the Biden administration. This victory should remind everyone that our rights cannot be put on hold on the whims of the so-called experts of the moment. These rights pre-exist government, and we must never forget this. States across the U.S. received pushback for implementing school closures during the COVID pandemic. Restrictive measures have been attributed directly to the declining academic performances, literacy rates, and other measurable metrics in schools around the country. This is the Truth Hurts program. The Democrats in Congress are now rejecting the Republicans' investigation into the safety of unaccompanied children at the border, claiming investigating the deaths, injuries, rapes, kidnapping, and trafficking of unaccompanied children at the border is completely unnecessary. You heard me correctly. House Democrats on Wednesday of this week dismissed the need for an investigation into the health 
and safety of the tens of thousands of unaccompanied children who cross the southwestern border illegally each year. Republicans called upon Congress for a resolution of inquiry asking for a broad range of information from the Biden administration about these young, helpless children. The response, of course, to the soaring number of unaccompanied children encountered at the border since gropey Joe Biden took office and rolled out the welcome mat. In fiscal year 2021, more than 146,000 children were spotted by border officers. This year, more than 140,000 unaccompanied children have been encountered, more than four times higher than the 33,000 in fiscal year 2020. But the Democrats rejected this resolution. They said it's not needed because the Department of Homeland Security has been reporting information about unaccompanied children and adults who crossed the border. The guy with the largest zipper in America, not because he has a giant Beans and Franks setup, but because he pulls his pants up just below his nipples and he's fat, Jerry Nadler, the fat little clown, says this resolution is completely unnecessary. The minority has had no problem obtaining briefings or information on this issue. Jerry Nadler, what a clown. Republicans dismissed the opinion and accused the Democrats properly of trying to shield President Gropey Joe Biden, the pedophile, from accountability on the border. And of course, because it involves young little girls. Oh, Joe, Joe, you want to touch him, don't you? Tom Massey is a Republican representative from Kentucky, and he said Democrats are only interested in the safety of children when Donald Trump is president. They don't give a damn about the children now. Remember when Trump was president? Oh, we get to do this for the children, the dreamers, the DACA kids. And now that there's Democrats in charge and they still have the exact same crisis, only four times worse, the Democrats don't give a damn about those children. Massey said, during the Trump administration, committee Democrats held several hearings attacking the Trump administration for overcrowded conditions caused by unaccompanied children coming across the southwest border. But since President Biden took office, these same Democrats have been silent about the far worse conditions and the Biden administration's lack of concern with placement of these children with sponsors in the U.S. Dan Bishop is a Republican representative from North Carolina, and he adequately and properly accused the Biden administration of an institutional lack of candor. He said the administration has not been forthcoming about the circumstances about the border generally, and certainly not concerning the handling of unaccompanied alien children. They've been flown around the country in the dark of night. There have been all sorts of irregular housing decisions that have been made and discovered by the media from time to time. But Congress can't learn of them. We've had hard times since the beginning of the Biden administration obtaining quantification of information. There have been delays of reports that are regularly published by the DHS, and the Republican resolution asked the Biden administration for all documents related to the health and welfare of unaccompanied children, including the rate of COVID infection, all current policies on the placement of these children with sponsors, the number placed with sponsors who did not pass background checks, the number not placed with sponsors, and of course, information on the massive reported abuse of these children. Resolutions of inquiry are privileged. They need to be considered by House Committee. But since Jerry Nadler and the Democrats opposed this resolution on unaccompanied children, they simply voted it out of the House Judiciary Committee with an adverse report 
signaling their opposition to it. Sorry, little bambinos and bambinas, little chiquitas. We don't care if you get raped, robbed, sodomized, kidnapped, trafficked, drugged, have drugs shoved in your little orifices so that you can mule those drugs across the border. We're the Democratic Party. We only give a damn about you and we can use you to buy votes. And right now we can't because the border crisis is real. And it is Joe Biden's border crisis. And it is the Democratic Party's border crisis. To hell with you little children. You're only a bunch of dirtbags from a third world nation anyway. And you're not old enough yet to vote Democrat. That, my friends, is the bottom line. And that also, my friends, is all the time we have for this edition of the Truth Hurts program. Go out there and make it a great day, and we'll see you next time. The new television series Rat in the White House premieres tonight after the gangbang theory on GBS, the government broadcasting system. This is not your average celebrity game show. It's not a cooking show. It's not even a mystery. Rat in the White House stars gropey Joe Biden, the rat who skulks around like an Alzheimer's patient desperately trying to fit in. Co-starring head ho Camel Toe Harris with special guest appearances by Nazi Nancy Pelosi, Chuckles the Clown Schumer, and others. Rat in the White House does his best to try and read teleprompters, cue cards, and listen to the voices in his head. The ones speaking to him from his hearing aids. This rat is up to no good and he doesn't even realize it. Look for Rat in the White House coming to the back of a milk carton near you. Stay tuned for an all-new Wiped Out, the show that proves America is on the decline as it gets wiped out by the Democrats. That's all tonight starting at 7 on GBS, the government broadcasting system. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I apologize if you were offended, but I retract nothing. Background music provided by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Mm-hmm.